All right. Well, today we are wrapping up um, the Psalms. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in Psalm 51. So if you want to go there already, I noticed that the Bible app was having some difficulty today, but hopefully the notes are there by now. And if you have uh, your, your phones with you, you can go to the Bible app and uh, the notes, the, the scripture passages and, and that will be there as well. Plus, we'll have everything on the screen. And so hopefully you're able to follow along. A lot of material today, a lot of verses to read. And so we're going to need to move rather, rather quickly uh, through some of this. But we've been spending the summer looking at the Psalms and we've been looking at not only how we can pray them, but we've also been looking at some of the different types of psalms. Because we need to be aware of them because different seasons in our lives require us um, to understand that different scriptures will speak to us in, in unique and different ways. My prayer has been this, that as we've been going through the psalms, that you've gained a, different, a deeper understanding of them and that you have been able to understand also how to apply them to your life. And we've said this many times that we want to use the Psalms to, to help us in our prayer. And I think the Psalm that we're going to look at today is one that is often used in, in a time of prayer. The type of Psalm that we want to look at today is called a penitential Psalm. And out of the 150 Psalms that we have in the Bible, there are traditionally um, seven that are known as penitential psalms. They are Psalms number 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. These are the ones that really focus in on the, the theme that we're going to look at today. These psalms express sorrow as a result and as a consequence of sin. They also express repentance and ask for the source of the affliction to be removed. These psalms are also at times referred to as the psalms of confession or the psalms of repentance. One of the penitential psalms asks for deliverance from illness and another one asks for deliverance from their enemies. David, who's written many of the psalms, he is the author of four of these psalms. And in the early church, Psalm 51, the one that we're going to look at today, was commonly used to close the service. And once we read it, you'll see why. Because it, it asks God to have mercy on us. Psalm 51 is a plea for God's mercy. It is a fitting way for us to, to go about our day, to recognize that we need God in every area of our lives. Now, the term penitential psalms was coined by Augustine of Hippo. And he is the one who is credited with giving them this term. And in his autobiography, uh, his work, The Confession, and if you ever need heavy reading, uh, you can read those. Augustine is one of the most influential author, um, authors and figures of the Western church. And he's the one who is, who is credited with giving them the name Penitential Psalms. Now really quickly, I want you to see the structure. Because if you decide later on today you want to read all of them, you're going to notice that there's a unique structure that all of them follow. Each of the seven um, have a similar outline, similar structure. First, what you'll see is the author issues a cry for help during adversity. That's the first thing you will see. Secondly, the author gives a detailed description of their dire 
situation or their circumstance. It's not just this vague, you know, God help us. It's help us for this reason. Help us because in this area we are in trouble. And then thirdly, the author makes a specific um, request for help. And so um, all of them follow this similar outline. Psalm 51 is the one that we want to look at today. And it was written by David. And to help us understand what is the meaning behind this psalm, it is important for us to have a little bit of a background story. So if you have your Bibles, jump to Psalm, you keep your finger in Psalm 51, but jump back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, here we are given a story, we are told a story that helps us understand the meaning behind the psalm that we are about to read. Psalm uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 1 says this, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men. So this prophet and Nathan tells this story. He says, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now we'll pause there for a second. Do you hear the injustice here? I'm sure some of you, we talked last week about justice-oriented people. Those of us that are a little bit more justice-oriented, we, we see this and we're like, this is wrong. This is more than just the rich man stealing uh, from the poor. This is a complete disregard for the needs and the dignity of a poor person. This lamb was all this person, this man had with, it for, with his family. It was, in a sense, his companion, someone for him to, to live life with. For the rich man, it meant nothing. He, could have, he couldn't be bothered to kill one of his own. He had, he had a, a lot of them. He could, he could have selected anyone. But instead, he went and he took the one that the poor man had. He had zero compassion, zero empathy, zero appreciation even for his own blessings. So I want you to now listen to David's response when Nathan tells him this story because David does not yet see that he's being set up. David, verse 5, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over, I'm assuming before he dies, um, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now listen to the next verse. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Now, why did Nathan tell David this story? And more importantly, why did David, why did Nathan say to David, You are the man? You are that man. You're the one who did this, David. You're like that person. Now, you have your Bibles already at 2 Samuel. We're going to move back one more. 2 Samuel chapter, uh, uh, chapter 11. And I won't read it, but I'll give you the details of the story. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, 
we see that it's springtime, and springtime was war season. And so David has sent his army out to go fight, and yet David stayed behind. And most of you are familiar with what's coming next. One day David is up on the roof, he sees a woman bathing, and he inquires as to who this woman is. And they tell him, well, this is the wife to Uriah the Hittite. So now we need to pause for a second and say, okay, then who is Uriah the Hittite? Is he just some nobody that that we don't know anything about? Or is he someone important? And if you read through the Bible, you see that he was actually a very important person. Uriah the Hittite is mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 23. Here he is um, listed as one of an elite group of mighty warriors or mighty men who served King David. In other words, he may have been one of David's close bodyguards. So it's possible that David knew this person. And he may have at one point or another even been protected by this man, Uriah the Hittite, because he was part of this elite group of fighters. Now back to the story. So that's who Uriah is, and this is who Bathsheba is. So David has her brought to his cabin. No regard for the family situation. No regard for who she is and who he is. He wants her for himself. So he brings her in, and long story short, he gets her pregnant. And now he has to do something to hide his sin. So what does he do? He calls for Uriah to come to the temple under the pretense of reporting on how the war is going. And what David would want and he encourages Uriah to do this, is for Uriah to go home and to be with his wife. If nothing else, to be seen in the home with her. And then, obviously, he could pass it off as saying, it's Uriah's child because Uriah came home. That doesn't work. Uriah doesn't go home. Out of loyalty to his men, who are out sleeping in the, under the stars, he refuses to go home. So David has him brought in again. And he's a little you know, confused. So this time he decides, I'll get the guy drunk. Surely a little alcohol is going to make him more loyal to his wife than to his men. But again, Uriah does not go home. And so David begins to realize that he's in trouble. So he has to do something. And so he comes up with this plan. And he writes a letter. And he sends it with Uriah to Joab, the commander, to put Uriah on the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. And what makes this story exceptionally cruel is two things. Number one, based on Nathan's emphasis on the poor man having this one lamb, it is believed that Uriah only had one wife. Which, when you consider the status of who Uriah was, most of the men would have probably had multiple wives. David had many wives. And so it's believed that Uriah only had one wife. The second thing that makes the story so cruel is that David literally forces Uriah, without him knowing, to carry his death sentence with him and deliver it to Joab. And the story, as you know, Uriah faithfully obeys the king, delivers the message, likely not knowing the content of the letter. He delivers it to Joab. Joab puts Uriah at the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Uriah the Hittite is killed. And after Bathsheba has some time to mourn, David brings her in as his wife. 
And then Nathan arrives and tells the story that we've just read. Now let me ask you a question. Do you not just love this David guy? Doesn't your, your brain just kind of like, what in the world? Here's a man who is called to be a man after God's own heart. But what we recognize with this person, even though he is a man after God's own heart, God is not pleased with David. And he sends the prophet Nathan. And he prophesies calamity will come to the home and that the child will die. And seven days later, after Nathan delivers this speech, the, the child passes away. And Psalm 51 is written out of this grief, written out of this sin, out of this loss, consequence, pain, guilt, justice. This is a psalm that represents all the agony of that situation, of that failure, of that deliberate act of sin. And so let's read Psalm 51. I'm going to read the entire passage. And so those of you um, following along, Psalm 51, I'll be reading from the NIV. I want us to listen carefully to how David describes and speaks to God, considering what he has done. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet my, your desired, you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing heart to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O oh God, you are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David in this psalm, and it's a long psalm, but David in this psalm, as you just heard, he acknowledges his sin before God. David is aware 
that he has taken God's grace for granted. It is God's love that allows David to even now come before God and express and ask for forgiveness. Psalm 51, we read here and we see a humbled David. We no longer see the proud king who thought he could take whatever and whenever he wanted and get away with it. David has been humbled. Now there are a number of synonymous ideas um, of forgiveness in the psalm. Let me just read them really quick because you see them. And these are like a reflection that, that line up with this need to be forgiven. He says words like blot out, wash me, cleanse me, purify me, hide your face from my sin, create a clean heart, do not cast, do not take, restore, deliver me. All of these are words that he expresses in the psalm that indicate that he recognizes his need for forgiveness. It is clear that David is aware of the evil that he did and that God has to deal with it. He cannot continue as he did. He needs to surrender to the authority of God. He needs to recognize that it was God who made him king, not him. In Psalm 51, David is aware that his sin, that his sin also had an impact on the, on the people. And this is why he prays that, that Zion would prosper, that the walls of Jerusalem would be restored, and that there would be worship at the altar again, because he recognizes that as the king, his sin impact others. And I trust that all of us here today, whether it's parents or employers or leaders in any way, that we need to recognize that our sin impacts the people who we lead the people that we are responsible for, whether it's our family or our workplace of work or whatever it might be. David recognizes that. And he prays on behalf of the people he would have had an impact on that they would not have to endure any consequences as a result of his sin. So let's consider for a moment ourselves then. It's easy for us to look at David. It's easy for us to, to see this guy and be like, man, David, what were you thinking? What was your problem? Why would you do such a thing? Are we today, those of us in the room and those of us listening, are we taking our sin for granted? Are we living our lives in such a way that we might think that we'll get away with it? Are, are we living only concerned about sin once we've been caught doing it or once there's evidence to show that, oh, this is what you've been doing? Or like David, are we only concerned about making sure that we don't get caught? And doing all that we can. See, David's sin was wrong long before Bathsheba was pregnant. David's sin was wrong long before Uriah was killed. Long before any of these consequences or results of his sin. It was already a sin in the eyes of God. Whether he would have got caught or not. God saw it and God was not pleased. Maybe we've convinced ourselves like David that there's... This is possible for us to get away with it. There's a line in, in Psalm 51 that lines up perfectly in second, from, with Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, where it says, Then David said to, Samuel, to Nathan, sorry, I have sinned against the Lord. See, there's this recognition in David that, that what he's done is a sin against God. See, David needed a wake-up. So God sent Nathan to David. And I want you to hear this. God did not send Nathan to David just to rebuke him. God did not send Nathan to David just to show them what a, what a bad person he had been 
or to expose David for us to know about for centuries and centuries later. God sent Nathan to David because God loved David. And sometimes when our sins are exposed, we don't like it. We would rather it not happen. But let me tell you, when God exposes our sin to us, it's because He loves us and does not want us to continue on in that sin because sin leads to death. And God did not want David to experience death. And so He sent Nathan to him to expose him and to reveal this sin he was living in because he loved David. In verse 4, David says, Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm forced to ask myself, Really, David? Only God was the one that you sinned against? Well, what about Bathsheba? What about her? Because in my mind, David, you sinned against her as well. You robbed her of everything. You took everything from her. What about Uriah? So here's what this psalm teaches us and with the words that David uses here. That when he says that only you, against you, God, have I sinned. What this psalm teaches us, that whatever hurt sins brings to self or to others, the real thing that we need to focus on is that the heart of sinfulness is that it offends God. So while our sin may impact and hurt other people, and we need to go and apologize, and we need to ask for forgiveness, but we must never forget that at the heart of sinfulness is that it offends God. And we must make our sin right with God. I want to encourage you and I today to consider then how we can pray through this psalm. And my guess is that all of us This is maybe a bold, but my guess is that all of us would possibly need to confess sin today. Maybe some of us have gone a long time in our lives where we've genuinely, genuinely went before God and said, I am living in sin. I have a secret that no one knows about, and I continue to do this. And I hope and I pray that today, maybe like Nathan coming to David The Spirit of God is coming to you today and nudging you and says to you, repent, repent. So there's two things that Psalm 51 does. It outlines how we should pray this prayer. The first is this. We need to pray for forgiveness. You see this in Psalm 51, 1 to 9. Here some of the key phrases are, have mercy on me, wash away my iniquity, Cleanse me from my sin. We pray acknowledging our sin to God. Our transgressions, transgressions before God. Meaning that we know that they are known to God. We recognize and we acknowledge that our sins are known to God. We cl- declare them. We name them. God knows all of our sins. He has not withheld His love though from us. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. Because of God's love for us, we can be washed clean. 
we can have him wash away and be cleansed and, and be made whiter than snow. We celebrated communion today and we recognize what Jesus has done for us. That he died on the cross so that our sins and our transgressions and our iniquities have been paid for. And now we need to confess them, repent of them, and invite Jesus to come and to heal us and, rest- and forgive us. David also shows, reveals that sin leads to sorrow. It leads to brokenness, a heaviness that cannot be lifted while we are under the curse of sin. He prayed for cleansing. And then he adds this beautiful line. He says in verse 8, Let me hear joy and gladness. My guess is if you are living in sin, Because sin silences joy and gladness. Therefore, if you are living in sin, you may have found yourself becoming more and more miserable. And joy and gladness are absent your life. So David recognizes and he acknowledges that sin brings sorrow and it brings brokenness. So we must ask and pray for forgiveness. The second thing is we need to pray for restoration. We see this in Psalm 51, 10 to 12. Here, their key phrases are, Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. See, our prayer of repentance, our prayer of asking for forgiveness, often stop at forgiveness. We will pray and say, God, would you forgive me for what I've done? And we don't ask God to also restore us. So we need to also ask for restoration. At times, and I say this again carefully, at times I sense that some people ask for forgiveness almost expecting that they will sin in the same way again. And so we need to ask God not only to forgive us, but to also restore us. David sought forgiveness, but he also sought renewal of that which he had forfeited. See, when we sin, it's not only the sin that we are involved in. It's not only the sin that we are doing that we need to take into account. We are also forfeiting the grace and the love and the goodness of Jesus by indulging in something that is the enemy to those things. So David recognizes this, and he sought for renewal for those things that he had forfeited as a result of sin, namely a clean heart. A steadfast and willing spirit. He saw now what he gained. Or I should say it this way. He saw that what he gained by sin was nothing compared to that which he had forsaken by indulging in sin. So I encourage you and I today, absolutely ask for forgiveness. Ask for for, uh, repent. But also ask God for restoration. For a new heart and a new mind. Maybe you felt the beauty of God's grace. Or maybe it's been a long time since you felt the beauty and and this, this feeling of God's grace in your life. Maybe you need to pray that the joy would be made evident in your life again. The salvation that you maybe once celebrated, recognizing that Jesus had washed you and made you new and you had salvation in Jesus, maybe That feeling, that experience needs to be made new in you again. Ask God to renew you, to restore you, to make your mind 
something that is focused on Him. God desires for each of us to live in the freedom that He has given us. To no longer be in the bondage of sin. To experience the full restoration that He can give. So as we wrap up the series today, I want to encourage you that if you, in the midst of all of this, recognize that there's sin in your life, that you would take some time today before you go and just simply tell God what it is. This is what I've done. This is my iniquity. These are the lists. This is the list of my transgressions, God. And then ask him to forgive you. Ask him to forgive you. But don't stop there. After you've done that, you may want to say, God, it has been a long time since I've had a feeling of a clean heart. It's been a long time, God, since I've had joy and gladness in my life. Maybe you want to use the line like, restore these crushed bones. Give me joy again. Give me feeling of fulfillment and, and beauty. Ask God to restore you, to make you who He wants you to be. Now trust that today, if this is something that you need to do and if you need someone to pray with and, and to pray with you, um, that you would find someone we would love to pray with you. Call us during the week. I would love to pray with you. But I want to wrap up the series by asking you today, and if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, that you would do that. Or if you've taken your sin for granted, that today that your heart would recognize that you have offended God and that you need to confess and that you can be made whole today. Let's pray. God, none of us like to talk about sin and none of us like to think of ourselves as someone who needs to repent for sin in our lives. It's so easy for us to look at someone like David and, and point fingers and, and be astonished at what he would think he could get away with. And yet maybe in our own lives, there's, there's also something that others would look at and just be shocked at. So Lord, while we don't like to talk about sin... We recognize that you see all sin, that you see everything. There's no one person here today who has hidden anything from you. So I pray, God, that we would just be aware of that, but also that we would be aware of the fact that you have known this, and yet you still love us. And if maybe today is the wake-up call for some, then may it be so. Where today they would have a visit in a sense like Nathan, coming and saying, you're the person that needs to repent. And I pray that all of us here today, in whatever way it may be, that we would find ourselves today before a loving God, confessing our sin and also asking for restoration. We thank you, God, for what you are doing and what you will continue to do we give you the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.